going to be live in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And folks, tonight is another big show. We've got some real talent here on the No Outlet Podcast tonight, and it's another comedian. Tonight's guest, uh, first of all, you guys all know I love comedians, and this person organizes the Think Tank Comedy Show. And in addition to having a real affinity for comedians, I love anybody who's brave enough to go out there and start something on their own, taking an idea, turning it into reality. It's a really special thing, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for anyone that can do that. So without further ado, let's have a warm, no-outlet welcome for Sarah K. Godot. Now, first of all, am I pronouncing your name right? You nailed it. Oh, good. Right out of the gate. Good, good, good. Yep. All right. We're it's gonna... usually my literacy test for people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that I passed. That would have been a tough you place did. to start. That's good. Right? Uh, um, uh, all right. So we're going to play a game called 20 Questions, and we're going to start where we always start, and that's question number one. Question number one, how important is it to realize and emphasize the healing power of laughter? I think it's absolutely crucial. It's uh, what I've dedicated my entire life for. And I think in the last year and a half, we need it more than ever right now. <laughs> that is so true. Um, that is so true. Now, are you based in Los Angeles or Chicago? I am. Okay. I am based actually in Long Beach. So a very oh, cool. specific part of Los Angeles. <laughs> LBC. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that where Snoop Dogg's from? I think Snoop Dogg's Snoop, from Long Beach. Snoop Dogg and Sublime. Yep. Love and it. me. No. And you. <laughs> uh, all right. Question number two. What can you tell our audience? And by the way, the audience here, you should see them. They are they are live and they are ready for this to happen. What can you tell our audience about the Think Tank comedy show? Sure. So actually, uh, next Tuesday, we will be celebrating our one year anniversary, which oh, I'm awesome. very excited about. Uh, so we actually started as a Zoom show during the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. which was a huge pivot for me as a comedian and also comedy show producer. Um, but actually it was crazy rewarding. Like I live mm. in California and a lot of my family lives all over the country, including my parents who live in Florida. And this is the first time uh, this past year that all of them got to see me do live comedy. So there you go. That was, that was pretty cool. Uh, that being said, we did go live in an actual venue last month. So this month will be our second um, in-person show in Long Beach at the Pike Bar on fourth street. And I'm very excited about it. (laughs) I love it. That's great. I mean, it's great. It is always a silver lining to everything that happens. It's not so great. And it's also great to have this kind of happen as something that, you know, during the pandemic, but now you're actually going live. That is so cool. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Absolutely. When did you first realize that you had uh, an interest, not just in comedy, but in performing comedy? Well, that is. It's kind of a mixed bag story. I've been performing since I was three. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so I, I grew up doing uh, musical theater and straight theater. I have a BFA in theater. Um, there was a long period of my life where I was taking myself very seriously, and mm-hmm. the world was giving me every indication that I was supposed to be in comedy, and I wasn't listening. <laughs> um, and uh, then I so I went to school in Miami and moved to Chicago and uh, became a member of a writer's theater, which was super fun. Like we did all original work in every medium that you can perform. Uh, and it it was 
like strictly comedy based. And then I, I realized also that um, you can't make a living doing live comedy. And I started stand up like 13 years ago because I could control when I was doing it. <laughs> oh, that is so cool. Okay. So your first gig as a stand up comedian was 13 years ago. Yeah. And where was that? That was in Chicago. In Chicago. So the, the, you were, make sure I get this straight because it's really interesting to me. So you were part of a, a, a writer's theater group that was doing like sketch comedy? Uh, we did two sketch shows a year, two kids shows a year, two straight plays, and a musical. Oh, that's so cool. And you guys obviously, you know, you, you were writing for the group. Have you ever done any comedic writing for other entertainers or other comedians? Um, I haven't written, but I, like, I'm part of two or three writers group where mm -hmm. we help punch each other's work up. And I'm uh, now part of a few writers groups where we're all writing on our own spec scripts and pilot scripts. I've never written jokes for another comic. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Excellent. Um, okay. These next two questions, they're not easy questions. I'm going to tell you right up front. So uh, All right. let's see how we do. So in your opinion, who is the most influential stand-up comedian of all time? Uh, I mean, for me, I would have to say Phyllis Diller. Oh, I love that <laughs> answer. I think that her work still holds up just as much today as before. And obviously with the trailblazer uh, for women being funny and doing it in a, a very male dominated and kind of difficult world. <laughs> yeah, I know. Can you imagine? I mean, just think back, like it's tough enough now in general to break into comedy. Then imagine breaking in, you know, when she did as a woman and all the crap she must have had to go through. And yep. she was really funny, too. So I love that answer. That's a good one. Like, okay. I love that she used to put her kids to bed. And then, like, she'd have to perform at strip clubs. Which I, I would still do today if somebody gave me a gig at, like, you know, Fantasy Castle in Long Beach. I'd be there in a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's a crazy world. It is a crazy world. I agree. Um, and it kind of a, a, a bookend to that question. So we got the most influential how about the most underappreciated? So somebody who you have great respect for and, and maybe has gotten some accolades, but never quite got the level of respect that you think that they should have or could have received. Uh, I mean, for me, probably she was my first uh, stand-up comic love, and I feel like she should still be more celebrated, but Janine Garofalo. Oh, Yes. So bringing me back to the 90s. So, um, right. yes, absolutely. She, I think it was like mid nineties. Was it, was she in singles? She was in a bunch of movies and mm -hmm. I always, and reality bites. That's and, the one I'm yeah. thinking of reality bites. Yep. Um, and, and every, even though it, her, her quote unquote time has passed, if you want to say that every time that I've seen her in anything, she's always the same. Like the, I like the yep. consistency of her character. Like, she is who she is. She's been that way since the 90s, and she's that way now, and I appreciate that. There's not a lot of give there. Yeah. I've always appreciated it because, for me, I think the best comedy is when it's authentic, and that way nobody can steal your stuff anyway because you're writing from your own experience, right. and she has always been authentically herself. <laughs> Agree. I love that. Okay. So, of all the, so for 13 years, you've been, you know, doing your stand-up act uh, – started in Chicago. You obviously have performed in California. All the places that you've ever performed, what's your favorite room to perform in? Uh, to be honest, every time I've done any shows at like a VFW hall or like any veterans thing mm -hmm. has been some of the coolest experiences I've had. 
just because everybody that shows up shows up because they want to have a good time. And laugh. Right. So it's not like you performing to a bunch of other comics that are jealous because you have the stage sign or like a weird Sunday matinee show at the Laugh Factory. Like it, you feel good about what you're doing and everybody's in it to win it. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Um, here's a question for you. Uh, do actions speak louder than words? Well, I mean, they don't speak, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. That's uh, that's one of the, the, the stock questions that we try to get people's opinion on. And, and I have yet to have somebody say no to that question. I've got all kinds of weird questions I ask, and that one is always a yes. So I'm glad we kept <laughs> the streak alive. All right, so you, you mentioned earlier how Think Tank Comedy Show kind of started as uh, a Zoom show during the pandemic. And do you feel like – and, and – and, you know, you, you use the word pivot. Do you feel like by mm-hmm. having to pivot in that direction, and this is a collective, not just for you, but in a general sense, do you think that there are certain skills that you can hone better while you're in a Zoom platform as opposed to being live? Yes. Um, and this might be a theater kid talking in me, uh, but I feel like um, there definitely seem to be a lot more uh, – community building and also not just the audience listening but like one of the greatest ways to grow as a comic or a performer is to legitimately watch and listen to other performers mm-hmm. um and oftentimes in live shows that doesn't happen people are like out in the hall chatting or having a you know anxiety smoke in the alley or whatever is going on right. and uh over the last two years i feel like with us all doing zoom comedy uh, it was the first time that like there was an opportunity every night to like really bond and listen and grow to a lot of other performers, not only in LA, but like I was performing with people, not even all across the country, but sometimes uh, all across the world. And so there was definitely a lot of growth in that aspect. And uh, it made you also kind of watch and listen to yourself a little bit more. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, again, Anything that is a change in the norm is going to sometimes lead to good things, bad things, but there's always yep. something to gain from it that you wouldn't have got it if everything had stayed the same. And, uh, and yep. apparently comedy is no different. Um, what is the best musical concert that you've ever seen? Uh, probably when I was like eight, my parents took me to a jazz festival and I got to see Etta James live Ooh. for one of her last performances. Wow. And, like, not only is she magical, but she was also doing lots of, like, blowjob humor, which I found hilarious and my mom was mortified about. <laughs> hey, you know what? If there's one thing you should learn when you're eight, it's blowjob humor. That's that's kind of goes hand in hand, right? Yep. you got to go back to third grade with something. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's great. Uh, okay. So when you're not performing, um, how do you spend your free time? What do you do for fun? Uh, so I – when I'm not performing, I actually own a business with my husband, so I'm usually just kind of working all the time. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, we own a psychology practice. Um, oh, awesome. Okay, well, that makes but, sense. Yeah. <laughs> but outside of that, um, I actually uh, am also a level three sommelier, so I I very intellectually like to drink wine. <laughs> yes. Okay. So... Let's see. There's a couple. Now that's a loaded answer, and I got a couple questions here. So the first thing sure. is, I was going to ask if comedy was your full time gig. Answer is no. You own a psychology practice, which is awesome. 
Um, you you got to work the mind just like you work everything else. You got to make sure it's healthy. I love that. Yeah. Now let's talk about uh, wine. So um, there, I didn't realize I'm a big wine fan and that I like to drink it. I really don't know much about sure. it. Um, I know what I like and that's kind of it. But then there's this, there's this documentary. Uh, I believe it's on Netflix. I'm sure you've seen it. And it was about becoming a sommelier, right? Yeah. And um. yes, some, that's it. And mm-hmm. I was so blown away by the level of knowledge that you have to have and then not only have, but have down to the point where if you smell or taste a glass of wine, you can say those grapes came from this region in this year and it was a dry year and there was sunlight. And I mean, I was yep. absolutely floored by these people and how hard it is to become a sommelier was was totally news to me. And it seems like it's near impossible. This one person was trying year after year. So explain yep. to me, what is a level three sommelier? What does that mean? Um, so it's basically, there's a bunch of different certifying bodies or have been in the last 20 years that I've been in the wine game. Okay. Uh, I went up through the uh, International Sommelier Guild, which now no longer exists. Uh, SOM was based on the Court of Master Sommelier. So that's what people know the most. So basically, the certification that I have is on par with um, advanced, which is one level under master SOM, which is the highest one you can do. So basically, so cool. I still had to do like the blind tasting of 45 wines and 10 spirits. We had like a whole piece where I had to build an entire restaurant from the beverage director's point of view. So like building out a bar space and, you know, budgeting all of the different stuff and staffing and training and food pairings. Yeah. Wow. It, was, it was intense. It was basically like going to grad school for five years, but for drinking. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yes, that sounds fun, but it, it, it's, it's serious work. It's serious business. It is. And um, that is so cool. Okay. So I have to ask this question as a wine fan, what is, let, let's just narrow it down to Cab Sav. What is mm-hmm. a bottle of Cab Sav that isn't crazy expensive, but is super high quality and might not be on anyone's radar? Um, so one of my favorite regions, especially in California for Cab Sav, that I think is underrated is Paso Robles. Okay. Um, and Clinker Brick and Justin both have very good, like in that $20 a bottle range. That's uh, pretty easy to get all over the country and highly quaffable. <laughs> I love it. So there is, and I'm going to probably expose myself for not knowing anything here, but many, many years ago, there used to be this, um, and, and the, the wine is still out there. It's called Toasted Head. But years mm-hmm. ago, it was like a six ninety nine bottle of wine. And I was like, at the time, like, well, that, that works for me. But it was really good. And then what happened yeah. was, over the years, uh, that bottle of wine is now a 12 or $13 bottle of wine. And I feel like it was kind of like a hidden secret. Like, they know how to sure. make wine really well, and it's cheap. And now people are spending a little bit more for it. Is that true, or am I just making that up and justifying it in my head? Yes, and also like just like inflation with everything else, the the cost of doing business has gone up in every industry, which means the cost of goods will also go up in every industry. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's amazing you can still find cheap bottles of wine. I always think about that. I always think when I see all there's so much rose now out there, I'm like, how can there be enough yeah. grapes to make all this rose? How in the world is there enough? Well the rose is just red wine with the skins only in for a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. So Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Oh. See, we're learning stuff on the No Outlet podcast, and I love it. Okay, in your opinion, uh, is all we- is all well that ends well? 
No. Okay. I, I feel like it, life isn't just about the ending. It's about the journey. So you have to make the journey well, too. <laughs> See, I normally, when I ask that question, I normally ask it, like, do the ends justify the means? And when I ask that mm-hmm. question, people get all freaked out. And then, you know, I have to give examples like, would you kill baby Hitler? And baby like Hitler. That, right. That's always the one I go yep. to. Uh, but I, I kind of like this framing better because it's the same question, but it's asked in a much softer way. And so far, it's been right. about 50-50 as far as people saying yes or no. There's The jury's out on that one, but I, I appreciate your answer. Okay. So let's say you are on a deserted island, okay? And the good news for you is that there's plenty of food, there's plenty of water, there's shelter, there's no animals that are coming to get you. Uh, but the only downside to this island is that you can only have one book, you can have one album, and then you can have one complete catalog of any comedian. What would that be? I think book would be Robert and Tom Wilson's Illuminatus Trilogy. Hmm. Album would be the female tribute to Tom Waits. Oh. And uh, complete catalog would be George Carlin. Nice. Uh, Tom Waits, somebody who my mother's a big, big Tom Waits fan. And when I first heard him, I'm just like, what is this? What's the deal with this guy? Like, why does my mom like him so much? But I got to tell you, I got right into him and he is one of the most soulful performers. Mm-hmm. And and it you, you got to give him a real listen because there's some depth there. And um, yep. he's A+. plus. Okay. Who was the most helpful comedian as far as your own development starting 13 years ago? to where you are now, as far as you becoming the stand-up comedian that you are today? Was there anyone that kind of helped you along the way? I wouldn't say anyone in in particular. Again, like when I got into stand-up, it was almost me completely leaving my community to start something that I could just kind of shove into a life where I'm working like five different jobs at the same time. Yeah. But uh, I will say, especially I've been in LA for nine years now, and um, there's definitely like little pockets of people in like I I used to live in like Santa Monica Culver City area now I'm in Long Beach and so there's like little touchstones of people that um I've been working with for nine years that like uh I could not see them in two years and cross their paths and all of a sudden we're doing a show together the next day uh so uh and in my like the one of the reasons I wanted to start Think Tank in Long Beach is I wanted to um help bolster the Long Beach uh, comedy scene so I didn't have to drive two hours into Hollywood all the time to do shows mm. if I didn't want to um, and to kind of support my local neighborhood and so there's a lovely lady named Brianna Kelly uh, who also has the same vision and produces another show um, a different night of the month as me so like we're trying to kind of build a whole little community here and uh, support each other so that there's a little bit more work-life balance in the whole situation. <laughs> it's so important. It's, it uh, is. it's so important and it's something that, you know, I'm, this is not my full-time job, but I, I am a uh, corporate slave and I got to tell you, we, as a country, we really discount, unfortunately, the importance of having a balance between what you do for work and how you live your life. And by the time you realize yeah. it, sometimes it's too late. So it's yeah. good to, to point that out now. Okay. So Mount Rushmore, right? Mount Rushmore is a monument that has four, uh, ex-presidents on there and i like to ask people uh what their mount rushmore of different things would be um and i'm going to ask you to tell me what your mount rushmore of comedians doesn't have to be stand-up comics but just comedians in general 
what would be your four if you were going to create a Mount Rushmore of comedy? Um, probably as far as uh, who's had the most influence on me, there would be Phyllis Diller, yep. uh, Janine Garofalo, yep. Madeline Kahn, and George Carlin. Madeline Kahn. Now there is somebody who I remember when I was younger, my, my parents used to let me once in a while, they were great parents, so sorry, Mom and Dad, but you guys were awesome. But they used to let me watch <laughs> R-rated movies, and Madeline Kahn was in sure. so many of them. And she was yep. always so funny. And I and I just remember thinking, like, okay, if she's in it, this is going to be a good movie. And mm-hmm. uh, and and I love that. So Phyllis Diller, Janine Garofalo, George Carlin, and Madeline Kahn, that is a solid, solid Mount Rushmore of comedy. Uh, comedy. That's great. Okay. Let's see. Uh, what is your favorite TV show? And it doesn't have to be current. It can be from whenever. Law and Order SVU. <laughs> well, that was quick. Now, is SVU... I, I just rewatched all 19 seasons, like, in the last month. So. Okay, so I don't know that show. Is that the one with Ice-T and Chris O'Donnell? Yes. All right. Yes. There's 19 Love seasons me. of that show? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yes. Oh, wait, no. You, Ice-T and Chris O'Donnell, that's uh, NCIS. This is um, Mariska Hardigay and uh, Ice-T and Chris Maloney. But yeah, 19 seasons. Okay, Chris Maloney was the guy who was that like uber commander in Handmaid's Tale. Yep. Uh, okay. Yep. He's great. I I have never seen that one either. But um, wait, is that so? Is that SVU a Special Victims Unit? Correct. Yes. Okay. Crime drama. I love it. Why not? Um, okay. <laughs> let's talk about. Um, Let's talk about the first time. So you're obviously into comedy. You've been performing since you were three. You took yourself seriously, like you said, but then you kind of, you know, went over to the comedic side of things. Do you remember thinking way back, uh, and obviously when you saw Etta James at eight years old, you thought that something about what she was saying was funny, but what was the first movie that you saw and you remember thinking, oh, I get it. That's funny because of this. It's almost like the matrix of comedy. Like there's a... You know, the whole thing of having a sense of humor, right? It's like you right. do have to pick it up, and some people pick it up, you know, randomly when they're watching, you know, Meatballs when they're 12 years old or some other time. Right. So what was the movie for you that you, like, you watch and you're like, okay, I want more of that in my life? I think probably the theater release of Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. Well, it's a good cast. It's a great story. It's a it classic. How do you feel about the remakes? I like them all. I even like Lady Ghostbusters, and I don't give a shit what anybody else says about them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know what? I haven't seen it, and I would. The only reason why I haven't seen it is because I haven't seen much in the way of uh, of movies in the last few years. But I would definitely watch sure. that. I mean, who who wouldn't want to watch something with those people in it? I would watch them paint right? a house. You know. Yep. Um, okay. So, what is next for the Think Tank Comedy Show? What do you guys have coming up? Uh, so this. Uh, the 28th of September is our one-year anniversary show, so I'm very excited about that. Um, I'm super excited, actually, about our venue. Uh, so the Pike Bar is a punk rock seafood bar in Long Beach that is yeah. owned by Chris Reese, who is the drummer of Social Distortion. And I was a big punk rock kid growing up, so it's like the fact that I talked one of my like teenage idols into letting me produce my own comedy show at his bar is pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Okay, let's talk about let's talk about that type of music for a second. Um, so first of all, Social Distortion. I forget his name. Who was the lead singer? 
Oh, God. He's got such a distinct voice, and you would know it from anywhere, but I can't think of his name. Anyway, that was uh, that was like the soundtrack. I think it was like 1996 or 7. There was one summer where all we listened to all summer long was Social Distortion. So much fun. As a side note, you know Dropkick Murphys? Mm-hmm. The lead singer of Dropkick Murphys, Alex Barr, uh, he went to my high school. He was a few years older than me. Okay. And, and, and here's just a, a quick little story about how people can be so phony and so fake. Not Alex. Alex was great. <laughs> so the year is 1984. It's the first week of school. Everybody's in the auditorium. And back in 84, it's like, and I'm dating myself here for sure, but, you know, everything yeah. was Izod's and preppy and pastels and, you know, coiffed hair and everything's perfect. And then you had this like small little subsection in the school that were straight up hardcore punk. And they had yep. the Mohawks and everything else. And Alex was one of those. So everyone's standing there. He walks in the gym and everybody starts chanting, uh, kill the punk. Terrible, right? <laughs> and, yep. all, and all these same people that were, were jeering and he didn't give a crap. He did his own thing and all he did, he never changed. And then he went on to Dropkick Murphys and they had that huge song that played at every single Red Sox game, shipping up to Boston Right, which I'm sure is now his mm-hmm. least favorite song of all time, but I'm sure it made sure. him rich too. But the funny right. thing about it is that all those people that were in the stands chanting, you know, terrible things at him are on the, oh yeah, Alex and me, we go way back, you know, he was in my high school and everything else. So it's funny mm-hmm. how people's uh, tune changed when uh, when he suddenly became oh, yeah. big. But I, I love Dropkick Murphys. I love that music. And did you say it was a seafood punk rock restaurant? Yeah. Name again, one more time. <laughs> the Pike. The Pike. I love it. Okay. And, and since Think Tank has always been kind of, it's, it's, it's like had a fish tank theme, so mm-hmm. it's perfect. Do it's you do all, all the artwork for the posts on your? Uh, I do. Nice and I do job. all the marketing. Nice. Thank work. you. And I even for since it's a neighborhood thing, I've done like old school marketing too. So I've been I made my posters and went and like staple gunned them to all the lampposts around the neighborhood. Old school. Yep. I love it. Um, okay. And where can people go and, and, and get involved and, and watch you and, and, and see the show? Is there, is there going to be a virtual aspect of this as well? There won't be for Think Tank uh, currently, but what you can do is go to com, and that has literally everything I do always up to date, whether it's a Zoom show or a live show or anything across the country or all of the various things, or you can follow Think Tank Comedy on Instagram as well. And and just to be super uh, over over the top clear, that Sarah with an H at the end. No H. No That's, H. Thank no you. H. I'm glad I asked. You're so welcome. Sarah with no H at the end. Uh, K, which is K A Y. G O D O T. O T. So you guys all yep. go check it out, uh, Sarah. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. I again. I love comedy. I love comedians. I love people that are brave and doing their own thing. And I wish nothing but the best for you and for Think Tank Comedy. I hope you guys have a great uh, anniversary party at the Pike. Party like crazy. Uh, have a good time. And and thank you so much for joining us. You should see our audience. Our audience yeah, is doing absolutely. the wave. They're, they're cheering. Woo-hoo! They've got a big, huge the best. Yes. Yeah. They're so excited. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ethan. You no, know, thank you. And everybody, uh, give a warm, 
warm no outlet goodbye to our friend Sarah Kay. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Take care.